Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, and we'll pick it up in verse 37 in just a moment, but the, the date was July 8th, 1741. The place was Enfield, Connecticut. The preacher was Jonathan Edwards, and the sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. <laughs> uh, over the course of his message, uh, I went back and read most of the message this week, but over the course of the message, Edwards described in vivid detail, not only like this graphic imagery of hell, he, he also talked about the precarious condition of everyone present who was not uh, positioned in Christ, uh, in God through Christ. And, and, and the final words of his sermon shook his hearers. The final, the final little paragraph of his sermon was, Therefore, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone, let everyone fly out of Sodom. Uh, haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape into the mountains lest you be consumed. And even before Edwards concluded, church family, there were shrieks and cries in the congregation. Like, they, like history tells us that there were people like mid-sermon, there's like, yeah, like what do, I, what, how, what do we need to do to be saved, right? Like you don't even have to do your third point, right? Like people were shrieking and crying out in the congregation and uh, God God would use Edwards and, and several other pastors to, to, uh, as instruments of revival in, in what would, would later uh, what would become uh, known as, as the Great Awakening. And thousands upon thousands would, would trust and follow Jesus. Uh, today, I don't think the vast majority of Christians could stomach reading Edwards' sermon. Uh, too, too many and I understand, I understand why, depending on what tradition you, you came up in, or um, I, I understand church hurt, I understand being, being burned, but uh, too many bristle at even the thought of sort of this hellfire and brimstone preaching. And though uh, Jesus taught and preached on the reality of, of hell a lot, in the New Testament, it's really not it's really not touched in the vast majority of churches today. And and with that, I think um, with this shift, the, the, the biblical concept and, and call uh, to repentance has also managed to to find itself on the banned list of like things not to talk about. Like like repent is like, oh, that's like a four letter word. It's like, I'm sorry, did you say repent? Yeah. 
we're gonna go on, we're gonna move on down the road, right? Um, we we just it's it's not it's not a thing we talk about. I think it's been loaded with so much negative and negative connotations. Um, but but here's here's what I want to tell you, church family. This morning, hey, before we jump in to verse verses forty two through forty seven, because if you're like if you're reading through Acts, like. By the time you hit 37, like you're just like trying to get to verse 42. Like you're just glossing over because you're like, let's get to that early community life. Man, let's get to that deal where they're just hanging out in homes, breaking bread. Just man, they're just sitting around having Bible studies every night of the week, you know, which is a little bit kind of like A&M, you know, Um, I mean, it's available, right? And uh, like we we love that. Like we we love that 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 gospel formed uh, reciprocity that we see in forty two through forty seven, but hear me, we cannot gloss over this truth as we look at verses thirty seven through forty one this morning. Uh, the early church was also a gospel formed fellowship uh, of repentance. Amen. They were a gospel-formed fellowship of repentance. They, man, they took sin seriously. They, they understood the place of repentance within the biblical framework of grace. Let me say that again. I feel like we like think these things don't work together. They understood, they understood repentance within the biblical framework of God's grace. And, and I, I would just say this, what like. I bring it right to you this morning. What about you? What, what about you? Is your, is your life characterized by repentance? Is, is your life characterized by repentance? Has there, has there been, if you profess Jesus, has there been a radical shift in your mindset towards your sin? In your relationship with other believers and other Christians, have you allowed the fertile soil of the gospel to to produce this consistent fruit of of repentance when when sin begins to hurt your relationships, when 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 you find your love for others growing, growing cold? And I I know I know we want to jump ahead because I wanted to jump ahead. Like I was, I was trying to gloss over 37 through 41 and the Lord, the spirit of God stopped me in my tracks and said, no, 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 you need to, you need to hit pause and camp out on what's going on in verses 37 through 41. I don't think you get to sort of the reciprocity that's going on in 42 through 47 without the repentance of 37 through 41. You don't get here unless you first go through 37 through 41. So uh, I want to read it again. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness. He continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day 
about 3,000 souls, right? That's the one time where you know like a church statistic was legit, right? <laughs> like, what are you guys running? You're like counting people out in the parking lot who took a wrong turn and pulled in and backed away. No, this is 3,000 souls who follow Jesus. And so I want to talk about what, what, it, what it is to be a community driven by repentance. Uh, when, when verse 37, when, when it says when they heard this, he said when they, when they heard what? You got to go back to verse 36. Peter Peter had just wrapped up his first, like his first post-Pentecost sermon, and it was a gospel-centered punch to the gut to like thousands of people gathered there that day. And, and, and again, remember the context. Peter's preaching, he's preaching to Jews. And, and so some of, some of those uh, Israelites present that day were explicitly responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. There's no doubt in my mind that day at Pentecost that there were, that there were Jews present who were also just 50 days earlier saying, crucify Him. Crucify Him. So you had those you had those cats and then you also had others present that maybe maybe they weren't part of the angry mob, but they nonetheless, listen, they rejected any notion that Jesus, they had rejected any notion that Jesus was Israel's Messiah. And Peter's final words would have it rang in their ears. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel know, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The Spirit of God, listen, had been poured out and already at least part of the prophecy of Joel's uh, of Joel's uh, Joel chapter two was unfolding. And the message, the message of the gospel had been proclaimed, and now the ball was in their court. And, and the question is, what would the people of Israel do? What, what would they do? And, and verse 37 tells us they were cut to the heart. Literally, it means the, the text is the picture is they, their, their hearts were pierced. I don't know if you've ever had anything that pierced your heart, but it, 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 it's, a, uh, it's acute distress. It, 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 it entails this deep emotional experience. They were cut to the heart. Now notice, notice what Peter does not say, right? Check this out. Look at the text. See, Peter, like, if Peter was preaching the American gospel, <laughs> he would have just said, hey, everybody listen. Like, while you're cut to the heart and super convicted, here's what I want to tell you. Like, Jesus loves you. Like, just, He loves you right where you are and just, you can stay right there. Like, you don't have to change. Just stay right where you are. Years ago, I, I was at an after-school kids program and, and the well-meaning ministry director got up in front of all the kids And she said, I'll never forget, she said, hey, you, you guys, here's what you need to know. You, you, are, you are God's children. You are good. You are treasured. You are loved. But then there was no clear gospel presentation. 
No, no explanation of what Jesus' death had accomplished for these kids. No, no call to turn from sin and to Jesus. And, and for days, I, I struggled with, with, this, the, the, with the thought of these, of these kids walking away with a, some, some sort of false sense, false assurance of salvation without a clear explanation of what it is to trust and to follow Jesus. See, the American gospel, it's, it's kind of a half-truth. It sounds good because it's got the elements of the truth in it. It's Jesus, Jesus loves you, but you don't, you don't have to change a thing. Just trust Him, but you don't have to change anything. You can stay right where you are. But that's not what Peter calls them to do. The first word Peter says is repent. He says repent. And now there there's some important distinctions that 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 need to be made, okay? Uh, I don't know if we can talk to our neighbor, but look like look at your neighbor at a safe social distance and say distinction. <laughs> Y'all even said it quiet, like that's good. Um, in the Old Testament, repentance entailed a in the Old Testament. Repentance entailed a, a, a literal about face. Some of you know this. It, it, like a, a, a changed behavior, a, a, a changed of actions. But, but the New Testament of concept, how it's, it's primarily used in the New Testament, is this Greek word metanoia. And it means a, a change of mind. Right? It's different. Meta, metanoia means a change of mind. And, and, and I think it's, it's important for us to differentiate between the, the fruit of repentance, which is changed behavior, which I, I think John the Baptist was still talking about this type of repentance in Matthew 3, kind of sort of is the last prophetic voice as Jesus is coming on the scene. And in Matthew 3, he's saying, hey, you need to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. John's still talking about that Old Testament concept of repentance but it's it's metanoia is different it's a change mindset and, and many believe that it works hand in hand with faith some saying that that this type of repentance and faith are sort of two different sides of the same coin are y'all with me two different sides of the same coin and here's what i mean by that you cannot place faith in christ as savior without first uh, believing certain things about your sin and about the world that you once held so dear. Amen? Like you cannot, you cannot believe certain things about Jesus unless you believe certain things about your sin and the world. And for the Israelites present, hear me, this is why in verse 40, Peter reveals that, that part of the repentance, and, and we'll, we'll come back to this, we're going to kind of connect the dots on baptism in a moment, part of the repentance entailed being set apart from this wicked and perverse generation of, of Israelites who had put Jesus on the cross and who would very much be physically judged within a generation in A.D. 70. Now, I'll come back to baptism in a moment, but I, I want to address something that I, I believe is almost entirely missing from the modern church. See, when, when I was a kid, right? Like, uh, as a kid, I, I was taught that repentance is what, like, lost, unbelieving people do. 
right? So like the little bitty church that I grew up in, you know, so when they're playing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, right? If you don't know that one, man, uh, go look it up. But they're like on the 14th stanza of that, of that mug, right? And so it's like they're about to go into like the 15th verse of softly and tenderly, Jesus, and some dude like comes stumbling down the aisle, right? And everybody's like, oh, thank you, Lord. Um, and, and, and so this, so, you know, some dude comes down the aisle and he, he prays with the pastor and then he gets up and, and gives a testimony of trusting Jesus. Like that was repentance, right? Like that, that's what I grew up thinking. Okay, that, that equates with, with repentance. But, you know, repentance was a, a one-time deal you do when you trust Jesus as Savior. But here's what I want to say. The truth is this. God calls us to be a community of people who are driven by repentance. Amen? Like we still breathe it and, and, and live it. Yes, there is a mindset shift in regard to sin that absolutely has to take place at the moment of justification. When you are made right with God through Jesus, through the finished work of Christ, there's a mindset shift that has to take place. But the picture of the New Testament church is one that's marked by perpetual repentance. Not, not so that we can made, be made right with God all, all over again. That, that work has been accomplished by the finished work of Jesus at the cross in Christ alone. But we, hear me, and, and, and I think it's in the notes, and if, if you're following along in, your, in the bulletin, we walk in repentance for the sake of our fellowship with God and with others. Amen? We walk in repentance for the sake of our fellowship with God and with others. We walk in repentance for the sake of our holiness, church. A holiness which the author of Hebrews says, without which no one We'll see the Lord. Like, we don't like that verse, right? We, we don't, we don't lie. We skip over Hebrews 12, 14. This past week, I read Charles Spurgeon where he said, the, the more holy a man is, the more he hates his sin. Huh. Surely, Spurgeon says, when we are made perfectly holy, we will have a greater hatred of sin. Church family, the reality that Spurgeon is pointing us to is, a, is with this completely and radically different mindset towards sin. See, for those in Christ, there is a fundamental uh, mindset shift in their orientation towards sin. Because of this, the, the community of God should be driven by this repentance. And, 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 a, and hear me, a mindset of repentance is going to change the fruit of repentance and lead uh, to changed behavior and changed lives. Amen? But, but here's, here's, what I, here's, here's the thing that I've been wrestling with this week. A huge part of why the American church is not driven by repentance is we have blurred, hear me, we've blurred the line between conviction and guilt. We've blurred the line between conviction and guilt. Now, let me be clear. Like, and, and I think we, we, we avoid saying this because like, I don't know if we want to, we just don't want to hurt feelings or like we've gotten too much into like pop psychology and sociology. But uh, there is a real guilt. Let me say this again. There is a real guilt that must be dealt with for those outside of Christ. 
For those who have not trusted in Christ, they will stand before God and they will be judged for falling short of the righteous standard of God. There is real guilt. The, the, unbel- the, the, the guilt that an unbelieving person feels under the weight of God is real. And, and I know this may sound crazy, but follow me. I think it's a good thing. It's actually a grace Because the weight of that is not meant to crush you. The weight of that is meant to drive you to Jesus. It's meant to drive you to the Savior who stands with open arms, willing and ready to forgive. It's it's meant to, to really bring us to an awareness that, man, we cannot save ourselves. That's why we need Jesus. But Christians, listen, Christians need not fear that guilty verdict when they stand before God. Amen? We don't fear that guilty verdict because Christ absorbed the judgment once and for all at the cross. A few months back, we, we as a staff, we went and we, we saw the movie Just Mercy. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go see it. It is a great movie. Uh, Although, it'll make you mad. I'm just warning you right now. Great, great picture of, of uh, just the, the issues with racial justice uh, that have plagued our country. And, and, but the whole movie, here's the thing. You're just waiting. You're waiting. You're waiting till he gets before the, the, the one righteous judge. Right? The one not paid off, not corrupt judge who will sit, who will over the court say, not guilty. And when it finally happens in the movie, you're like, yes, right? You're just, you're, you're pumped, you're stoked. Listen, when you stand before the Father, Christian, you, it is not guilty, amen, in Christ. But the Christian conviction is a different thing. See, we love to, we love to quote Romans 8.1, right? There's therefore no... Like, I think a lot of times when we're feeling con- conviction, like we're pulling our buddies aside and saying, no, 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 no. Like, there's, no there's therefore now no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And we're in like, we short circuit the, the work of the Holy Spirit. But listen, what they're feeling is not condemnation. It may just be conviction. And let me just say, most of us need to feel that every day. Listen, of course, we, you know, Romans 8.1, it, it's, the context is in regard to eternal condemnation. Listen, if you are in Christ, you don't, you don't need to feel that. But conviction of sin is, to, the, the weight of conviction is, is totally different. It's for our benefit, and it's not to be confused with guilt. Conviction of sin is initiated by the Holy Spirit. John, John 16, 8 through 11. This is one of the primary roles of the Spirit of God in our lives. And, and listen, the conviction of sin, it leads to repentance and to right relationship with God and others, right fellowship. Worldly guilt, it finds its origin in the enemy. It finds its origin in our own flesh, and it always kind of turns it around, and it and like it, it leads to more despair. It leads to more despondency. 
Christian guilt leads us back to ourselves. It leads us back to our fears and our failures. And all our faults are just kind of playing on a relay loop in our minds. That's, that's Christian guilt. Christian conviction leads us back to the standard of Christ and His finished work. And the reality that when the Father sees you, He sees Christ in you. So we got to learn to differentiate between the two. The American church is not, listen, we're not holy because we have confused holiness with legalism. And we've confused conviction with guilt. And because of that, we are not a community that is driven by repentance. Instead, we, we hold up and we celebrate this like cliche, cheap Christian grace. And we make all these statements about grace. But all the while, we ignore the fact that that grace is not making our lives look more like Jesus. That's a problem. And it was Spurgeon who said, oh, how beautiful the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, how beautiful that righteousness will be when we stand clothed with it before the eternal throne of God. Our robes will be white, Spurgeon says, because his robes were red. Our robes will be white because his robes were red. Church family, listen. You don't walk in repentance to merit God's favor. Christian, you already, you already have that. You, you, you already have uh, an abundance of that. That, that would make repentance a, a work to earn your salvation. You repent because you already have God's favor in Christ who died a bloody death for every pa sin, past, present, and future that you would ever commit. Grace, listen, and this is where we get it all wrong. Grace should never lead to this like cavalier attitude towards sin. Like, oh shucks, I, you know, I massively sinned again. <laughs> oh well. No, like grace doesn't lead to a cavalier attitude towards sin. Grace, think about it. Grace means unmerited favor. And if you have unmerited favor, it should drive a fundamental shift in your thinking toward your sin. It's this idea that, man, like my sin put my Savior on that tree. Like, like, why would I go back? Like, why would I go back? Why would I pursue this? Why would I pursue something that led to my Jesus being slain for me? Why would I do that? And if, if, if in Christ, I have all the resources of heaven. And I have the resurrection power of Christ in me then sin's penalty and sin's power have no hold on me. Amen? Quickly, I, I, I want to I come back to Peter's call to baptism, and, and, and hopefully I want to I connect some dots. We've got two that are going to be baptized this morning, and we can whoop for that. <laughs> um, was Peter trying to say that, uh, was, he, was he tying baptism physical baptism to salvation was he was he saying that uh in 37 and 38 that without without baptism that there is no forgiveness of sins if so listen we would have to 
rip out literally over a hundred New Testament passages that tell us that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And so the, the, the question is like, what, what gives? F.F. Bruce says this, it would be a mistake to link the words for the forgiveness of the sins with the command to be baptized to the exclusion of the prior word to repent. It is against the whole genius of biblical religion, Bruce says, to suppose that the outward rite could have any value ex except insofar as it was accompanied by the work of grace within. See, church family, baptism was no doubt the outward covenant sign of salvation. But again, I, I want to bring this, this, this idea of repentance full circle. Because see, implicit, hear me, implicit within Peter's command was this idea of being separated from this perverse and wicked generation of Israelites who had crucified Jesus. But not only being separated from them, but also being immersed into a new community, into the covenant community, the church. See, water baptism provided that outward picture of our sins being washed away. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it also provided a visible marker to everyone of your new identity. And so, so much so, follow me, much like Islam today, where water baptism would, would bring on a swift, let me tell you, and we've seen it, a swift and severe ostracizing. We're talking familial, we're talking social, we're talking Economic ostracizing. See, get, understand this. For the Jews, they, they affirmed God was spirit. They, they worshiped God the Father. But the minute you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you're saying, no, He is, he is my Messiah. He is Israel's Messiah. And He's God. So don't miss the significance, church. The, the outward baptism equated with the fruit of repentance. So we bring it back full circle. But and make no mistake, the act of baptism was in response to an inner repentance which had already taken place the moment of gospel belief. Where Peter in verse 38, 37, 38 is saying um, the moment they, that they received the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, how do, we, how do we apply this? Ready? Tell Evangeline we're almost done. How do we apply this? How do, how do, we, how do we, you know, a, a gospel-formed community driven by repentance. Here's, here's what that looks like. The gospel has to be the main thing, Restoration Family. Amen? Like, we, we say it over and over and over and over and over again. Christ crucified for sin and raised. 
Like we say that we are a gospel-centered church devoted to discipleship and diversity, but understand this, man, the culture in, in the ideology of the world, in the value system of this world is always trying to press in on your life. Like you do not exist in this neutral state. The, the world is trying to press in on you and press Jesus out. It, it, it says, the, the, the value system of this world says it is all about you. It, it's all about you. It feeds our pride and our, our selfishness and our self-centeredness. And look around, church fam, it is all around us right now. It is all around us. When, listen, when the gospel is not primary, all these secondary things become primary. All this politics and ideology and opinion, all of that is primary when the gospel is not. And we get puffed up with pride and, and we fail, we fail to practice repentance, and we're not characterized by this changed mindset toward our sin. And we come, we become oblivious to how our sin impacts our fellowship with others. And this is Never been more important than right now. Y'all, look, man. There is so much anger and animosity and division and ego right now. You see it online. You see it as you're out and about. What if the world witnessed Christ followers who were quicker to repent than they were to respond and to react to all the noise? What if the world witnessed Christians in a church that was quicker to repent than they were to respond and react to all the noise in the world right now? And I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with this and then we're done. I got all ramped up. I've preached too long today. Several months back, I'm having this conversation with a, another Christian parent. And, and in the context of our conversation, we're talking about bringing up our kids and, 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 and just the, the, the battle that it is to be a Christian parent. It's always been that way. And, 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 and I had this conversation and I just asked the question, hey, like when you, can I ask you a question? When you, when you blow it with your kids, like do you, I'm asking this parent, this father, and I said, when you blow it with your kids, do you confess it? And he kind of, he kind of looked at me with like a puzzled expression and he was like, no, like, no, like why, like, why would I do that? You could tell, like, he didn't even have a, a category for like repenting to his children. And, and it got me thinking there, there's a book by, by, by a guy named Paul David Tripp called Parenting 14 Gospel Principles. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. But one of the things that I, I took away from that book, and, and as I was thinking about this conversation, is like, who is the standard? Is it me or is it Jesus? It, it's not me. Because even with my kids, man, I've blown it a million times. And I've blown it in all the, way that, the ways that they have, plus more. The standard ain't me. I'm trying to point them to the standard of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the standard, we should make it a habit to confess sin to one another. 1 John 1.9 
And it's a grace. It's not a bad thing. It's just, man, we're holding up the standard of Christ. And when we fall short, we just recognize it and say, yeah, man, I, I've, I've, I blew it in this area. Yeah, I confess that, brother. I confess that, sister. And we repent. Galatians 6.14 says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross. So there's no room for boasting at the, at the foot of the cross. We all fall short. And I believe when gospel community is driven by repentance, it testifies to the world, listen, that the church, amen, is not the frozen chosen. Amen? Like when we're doing this repentance thing well, we're, we're not testifying that like, oh, yes, we've been chosen by God. No, we're testifying that we're, we're simply broken sinners who have been forgiven and made new by a gracious Savior. Amen? And so is grace a commodity that you're just consuming? Or is grace setting you apart in holiness for Jesus? Let me say that again. Is grace just the commodity that, that you're consuming? Or, or is grace setting you apart in holiness for Jesus Christ? Your frequency of repentance will give you that answer. Your frequency of repentance will give you that answer. Church, let's be a community that is driven by repentance. Can I get an amen? Let's do this on three. One, two, three. Amen. amen. Let's pray.